0: With the Lord is far better, far better. So he's in a far better place. I'm convinced of that. I'm confident of that. We've had the opportunity to fellowship very intimately over the last several weeks. And uh, we prayed just this morning. So God is good. I know it's a little heavy at the moment, but uh, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, Pete is good. We just need to now, as the pastor said, Show love to Shar and Alex, and I'm sure the Holy Spirit will help us do that, if we could just lift our hearts to the Lord. Father, we just thank you so much for your love, your mercy, your kindness, your goodness. We thank you for the precious gift of the Holy Ghost. We pray that you would lead and guide each one of us here today to be a blessing, to be a source of comfort to Shar and to Alex in this time to be a source of encouragement for them. We give you all praise, we give you all glory, and we give you all honor. We thank you that now Pete is totally, totally free. Totally free. Free from all pain, free from all anxiety. He is totally free. And we pray for your word today, God. Let it be a word that enters our hearts and brings forth and harvest. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thank you, Claude. Man, we'll miss that guy. He was an awesome guy, man. I mean, and funny, too. The guy had a sense of humor, and we're going to miss him. Amen. But, but, but he is where God wants him to be. Amen? Amen. All right, we are talking about uh, uh, the sermon series. It's called Totally Free. This whole series, the last several weeks, have been about how God's, God's intent for your life and for my life, is to be liberated. He does not, God is not a God that will constrict us, bind us, tie us down. And the trick, the, the trick of the enemy, if you will, is that, the, you know, the gospel is, is, is sort of characterized as a place of bondage, and sin is characterized as a place of freedom, and it's the exact opposite. Because when we really do follow Christ, we give our hearts to him we are liberated, set free, completely and totally set free. Whereas, you know, the the, the, the snare of sin, as we know, traps us and, and enslaves us. Um, we talked about, the first week we talked about how God wants to free us from our invisible wounds. Those hurts and pains that we carry through life due to issues that we experienced, maybe as as young people. Whether, whether it was through abuse or, you know, just, just troubles in our lives. How God has liberated us and wants to liberate us from those things. The second week we talked about persistent habits and sort of persistent nagging sins that kind of bind us and how God wants to liberate us and free us from that and the process by which he does that. Last week, we talked about fear, fear and anxiety and dread and worry and all that kind of trepidation and how that's not of God. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And that's what he wants for you and that's what he wants for me. So, and today we're going to talk about God liberating us Freeing us from probably the most insidious and pervasive issue that all of us face. That's the issue of pride. Pride. We're going to talk about pride and humility today in a uh, sermon titled Feathers and Wax. And that will make sense about halfway through the sermon, I assure you. Um, there, was a, uh, there was a Texas farmer, big, big rancher who uh, had a big spread in, in in Texas, and he had been out in California doing business, and he was driving uh, across through Arizona, heading back to his ranch. And um, he, he saw a uh, saw a little farmer out in the field, a little cotton farmer out in the field there in Arizona, uh, and the guy had a couple acres, and he was out there farming, and uh, this big Texas rancher thought, well, oh, you know, I'm going to stop off here, I'm going to impress this guy, you know. So he pulls over and he gets out and he starts talking to the farmer. And so the, and he says, "So is this your this your whole spread? This here, this farm, this is all you got?" And the the, the the cotton farmer says, "Yeah, this is this is it. I got these two acres and this is what I farm." He goes, "Oh yeah." He goes, "Well, let me tell you, my farm is so big that I get up in the morning. I get in my truck and the sun comes up and I'll drive all day long, and I won't reach the end of my farm until." nighttime that same night sunset that same night and the cotton farmer says yeah he says i used to have a truck like that Um, (laughs) so (laughs) that one kind of sets in um we're talking about pride we're talking about humility i'm not talking just for clarification i'm not talking about there is there is a good pride There is a good pride, a pride, a a self-respect, a self-dignity, satisfaction in a job well done, joy in seeing other people succeed. You know, when you see your child or you see a friend or a family member or or somebody do something that they accomplish something and you go, you know what, I'm proud of you. That's not what we're talking about. That's a good pride. In fact, throughout the scriptures, Paul and in the epistles would say to the different churches, I'm proud of you guys. I'm proud that you guys are you know, loving one another and taking care of one another and taking care of the poor, and I'm proud of you. And he says, I hope you're proud of me, in in several passages. He wanted, so that's not what we're talking about. That's a good pride. Today we're talking about um, sort of a a selfishness, a pervasive, selfish pride, an egotism, an arrogance, uh, also known as hubris, sort of this sense that you're better than, or you want to be better than, more attractive than, superior to other people and ultimately when that pride takes root then you you desperately want to be even more important whether you realize or not whether it's a conscious thought superior even to god Um, and so in christian theology this concept of pride pride is considered sort of the mother of all other sins pride is um, the original and most serious of all sins because as, as, as Thomas Aquinas says, he calls it in, inordinate self love, where we love ourselves not in the way that Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, you need to love yourself, that's good. Uh, inordinate self love, when we put ourselves in front of everyone else and in front of God. Um, I heard of or read an interesting article today about um, the the author. Her name is Diane Enriquez, and she had written an, uh, she had gone in and interviewed Bernie Madoff. Do you guys remember Bernie Madoff? Bernie Madoff was the New York uh, investor who 18 billion dollars of fraudulent of, of fraudulent money he had stolen from his clients over the course of many many years um and it was it was a one of these schemes of affinity where he developed a relationship with them they trusted him they put their trust in him and he would bilk them out of their money and defraud them and and, and he was caught a few years ago and he was put in jail his sentence is 150 years so unless he's got a very good uh, diet and exercise regime he'll be in there um when when he when he dies. but this author um, she went in and interviewed him, and then she had an interview on, on Fresh Air with Terry Gross. And she was telling Terry Gross, she said, you know what struck me about him? Was that, she said, his, his Achilles heel, if you will, his, the, the main problem with him wasn't necessarily his greed. It wasn't necessarily his deceit. She said, I kept sensing over and over in my conversations with him that he, it was his pride that led him to do this because he wanted to be better than everyone else. Uh, and she said even in the interview, he could not bring himself to admit that he had been caught in the scheme. He told her, he said, you know, I finally decided to give myself up because I was just tired of running the scheme. And, you know, as everyone knows, he did not give himself up. He, he was caught. And he didn't say, you know, I felt racked with guilt. He said, you know, I was just sort of tired of it, so I decided to give it up, you know. And, you know, his, his own son... He uh, killed himself in, the, in, in following this um, tragedy, uh, fo- following this um, scheme and everything. And and no matter what was going on in his life and in his family, he couldn't bring himself to accept blame. He was overcome, totally overcome with pride. Um, as just a way of example, when, when Aquinas says that pride is the mother of all sin, let me just go through just some of the kind of issues that you and I probably face and i'm not going to (laughs) dwell on sin all day today but but the issues that we face if we if we trace them back to their root we will find that the root of the sin in our heart is pride so if you think of greed or, or avarice as it's called is an inordinate pursuit of material possessions to the detriment of your relationships with others and your relationship with god what causes you to pursue possessions with that intensity the cause is that you want to be better than someone else you want to have more you want to do more you want to look better you want to be more attractive ultimately is pride it's putting yourself in front of others if if the the issue that you struggle with is lust is lust is premised on the idea that your own personal physical or sexual desire is more important is superior to the imperatives of the scripture that teaches how to conduct our lives and, and conduct our bodies if, if we are a person who uh, struggles with wrath, rage. Um, I don't know about you, but when I get in traffic, I struggle with wrath. I, I, <laughs> um, people ask me why I moved from L.A. Well, you know, I was yelling too much inside of my car. Um, no, and, that, and that, there's a serious issue out there. People genuinely have road rage. But if you trace it back, what is it? It's because what I'm doing is more important than what every other person in every other car is doing. And so I'm mad because I can't get to my place right now, right here, right now, pride, right? So it comes back down to over and over putting ourselves in front of other people or in front of anything else. It's, we're more important than the rules. We're more important than others. We're more important than God. It's about us. It's about pride. And all of us at some point in our life and probably on a daily basis struggle to some extent with pride, Um I can't help but to admit that while I was preparing for today's sermon, I was reading different articles, and then I started reading some other sermons that other pastors had done on pride, and as I'm reading the sermons, I'm thinking, I can do better than this guy. So, um, so it's, it's pervasive, um, <laughs> and, and you don't get away from it by being spiritual, right? I mean, it, it'll, it'll come at you any, any way, um, <laughs> uh, so let's just look for a few minutes. I want to talk about the consequences of pride, what pride does to us. Um, the first thing that the scripture teaches is, is, is that pride blinds us to our own faults. Pride blinds us to our own faults. Um, there's a, an amazing story in the Bible about King David, who is the king of Israel. He can, he's, he's got all the money. He's got all the wealth. He's got everything. He's got a faithful servant named Uriah, and this guy, Uriah, is a, is a warrior, and when David asks Uriah to go out into battle, Uriah goes out into battle. Uriah fights because he believes in the kingdom. He believes in David. He believes in what, in what his king is asking him to do, and, and there's, a, there's a moment in David's life where he's on the balcony of his own sort of terrace up there, and he looks across the area, the span of houses and and he sees this guy, Uriah's wife, and she's on the rooftop of her house. And he sees her bathing and he desires her. And he says, I, I want to have her. And he sends for her and he takes her as his own. Um, and th- he commits adultery with her. And then, then in order to sort of cover his tracks, he sends m- a message to the front line. And he says, send Uriah back. ...to me. I need to talk to Uriah. Sends a message. Uriah comes back. King David takes Uriah into his house. He says, Uriah, you're doing such a great job. Have some food. Have some wine. Tries to get Uriah a little tipsy... ...and then send him to his own house. So that if Bathsheba has a child... ...David's child, Uriah won't know... ...that it was David's. And Uriah is so faithful... ...and so humble... And so genuine and so sincere that he says, I will not go and sleep in my own home when my brothers are dying on the battlefield. And he slept on the, on the stoop at David's house. And David realized he was not going to be able to, to for, you know, for the scheme to work. So he sent Uriah back to the front. But before he sent him, he got a little letter. And he put it in his hand and he said, I want you to give this uh, to the general when you get there. So Uriah, Uriah got back to the front he went to the general. He gave the letter to the general. And the letter said, put Uriah at the front of the battle and then pull away from him so that, it'll, so, that it'll be a, so that he will be killed. And Uriah, not knowing the contents of the letter, hands that to the general. And the general follows the instructions. And so David, in order to cover his own sin, murders this faithful servant of his, right? And then in an act of sort of... Uh, <laughs> total and complete hypocrisy says this poor widow uh, of this slain soldier as a merciful king i will take her into my home and i will be a generous man to her and i'll take care of her and she'll never have anything and everyone says oh david you're so great right well nathan the prophet comes along nathan was a great prophet of that day nathan comes to david and says david there's a man in your kingdom who has many, many sheep. And there's another man in your kingdom who only has one sheep. And this man in your kingdom went to the other man, the man with many sheep, went to the man with one sheep, took his one sheep and killed it. And David is enraged and says, who is this man with many sheep? Have him brought before me. I will have him killed. Nathan says, you're the man. You are the man. David, blinded by pride, To his own faults blinded that he is himself leading a life that is completely contrary to what god wants and to his um credit david falls and repents and you know and begs for mercy and god gives it to him um but god it's a long way of saying pride blinds us to our faults um luke 18 11 through 14 jesus tells this story he says Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this. Here's how the pr- Pharisee prayed. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. They're extortioners. They're unjust, adulterers, or, or even like this, this tax collector here. You know, they're both, they're both there. I'm not like him. Thank you that I'm not like him. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of everything. I, I'm following your law to the letter, God. Thank you that I'm so awesome (laughs) but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying god be merciful to me a sinner jesus says i tell you this man the tax collector went down to his house justified rather than the pharisee god is not impressed by our virtue he's impressed by our humility when we come to him and say have mercy upon me god have mercy upon me, a sinner. He will pour out his love. He will pour out of his his justification on us. He will pour out his genuine. I mean, even David, who had committed the most atrocious series of sins that you can imagine, came to God and said, "Have mercy upon me," and God forgave him. Uh, Tim Keller always talks about the two kinds of. He says we're we're all we're all sort of sinners in some way, but but there are, there are two broad categories. One. The religious one. Uh, well, let me start with the irreligious one. One the irreligious one that says, I don't need God. I've got this covered. I'm not interested in him. I don't need anything. And, and I've got my own rules. I'll live according to my own way, do my own thing, and I'm good. And that person is made himself essentially a god. The other one is the religious sinner that says, I'm doing everything right. I'm walking right. I'm living right. Now you owe me. You owe me. And Tim Keller says, these are both versions of idolatry that God does not, uh, that God despises. So number one, it blinds us to our faults. Number two, it causes us um, to judge others. I may have gotten that. There we are. Uh, It causes us to judge others. Um, I I will never forget a a, a moment when I was in front of a real judge in a court, um, and I I was the attorney on one side of this case and there was an attorney on the other side of the case. And let me just preface it with this. If you really, really want to tick off a judge, forget that he's the judge and take on the role of judge yourself in his courtroom. Um, You will see how angry a judge can get and quickly. I was in a case and the judge was asking both attorneys on both sides of this case series of questions to try to adjudicate this matter. And I was giving my answers. Opposing counsel was giving his answers. And at one point, opposing counsel says, well, judge, according to your argument, okay, and the judge goes, wait a minute, I'm not making an argument. I'm making an order. I don't argue up here. I'm not, I'm not making a case. I'm ruling on the case. I'm judging the case. Don't say that I'm arguing, I'm not arguing, you're arguing, I'm listening, I'm determining the validity or the veracity of your argument. Don't get those two things confused. And I'm standing on the other side going, yes. (laughs) You just lost, pal, okay? (laughs) Uh, Jesus says, Jesus says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log... He uses this hyperbole to really draw this point home. You don't, you don't see the log that's in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, he says. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus repeatedly warns us not to judge. Pride causes us to judge because we start to think, that we are in a position of judgment. We start to think that we are, we, can, we are the law. We can tell people how they, you know, what's right, what's wrong. And, and, and the scripture tells us what's right and what's wrong. But God judges, not us. Amen? Let me give you one more scripture on that. James four eleven through 12 says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you? To judge your neighbor. Jesus repeatedly reminds us and in that great parable or that great incident with the, uh, the, the woman that was caught in adultery. He says, you know what? Go ahead and stone her. But I want the first person that hasn't sinned. You throw the first stone. And of course, everybody disperses. Amen. Because, because God does not want us to judge and pride leads us to that. Another consequence of pride is the scripture says over and over that pride leads to a fall. Pride leads us to disgrace and destruction of ourself. If you, uh, this statue, that the, this picture right here is, uh, is a statue uh, by a guy named Igor Mitteraj. It's right downtown, St. Louis, at 9th Street and Locust, And it's called the Body of Icarus. Um, Icarus is, uh, here's where the feathers and wax comes in. Icarus, um, the story of Icarus is a, is a story from Greek mythology about a young man whose father who wanted to escape from crete and uh, and his father said i will make you who was a master craftsman said i'll make you a set of wings and you can use these wings and you can fly over the wall and you can escape from crete he says but i want you to be careful don't fly too close to the sun uh and so the the son says okay makes him these these wings and the boy Flies, you know, leaves, creep, flies over the wall. He's flying and so exhilarated, full of so much excitement, he starts to forget who he is, where he is, and he just wants to go higher and higher and higher. And as the story goes, he gets too close to the sun. The wax melts. The wax that was holding the feathers melts. His wings fall apart, and he plunges to his death in the ocean. And and the, the, the theme of this story, of course, is don't be overcome with pride. Don't be overcome with hubris because it will destroy you. It will bring you down. Um, I don't know about you, but for me, every time I do something wrong, every time I really, really mess up in some way, it's always preceded by this sense of like, nothing can happen to me, right? Everything's good. I've got it under control. And that's when you're in danger. <laughs> because you're, you are you know, if you if you think that you can do it all yourself, God's saying, don't don't, don't let pride control your life because it will bring you to a fall. It will bring you to disgrace. Proverbs eleven two says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble, there is wisdom. Proverbs sixteen eighteen through 19 says, pride goes before destruction and a not and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. God's calling us to humility. That's really what he's calling us to. And when we find this root of pride in our heart, we must. It's imperative that we root that out. Um, The next consequence of pride that I want to talk on just a minute is pride destroys relationships. Um, How many of you have ever been in any kind of conflict in any sort of relationship in your life? (laughs) Um, Here's the deal pride is at the root of every conflict of in 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 every one of your relationships and ours and mine pride is at the root of it because at the end of the day pride is that is that is that sort of issue that makes us want to change someone to be more like us because we're right and they're wrong right um it, it, it comes down, conflict comes down to pride. Even if someone has in the relationship has done something wrong, and as I pointed out earlier, most 99% of the things that we do wrong is because of pride anyway. The inability to forgive or the inability to ask forgiveness, these are all rooted in pride. There are some fantastic um, but totally inadequate ways to apologize, and I'm going to go through a couple of them here. Um, first of all, if, there's, if you're in a relationship, boyfriend, girlfriend, friendship husband, wife, whatever it is, two words, well, it's really three words, but if you put two of them together, I'm sorry, are two very, very good words to use in a relationship. Um, Here's some some not so great uh, apologies. I'm sorry you feel that way. You ever hear that one? That's just like, you may as well have said nothing. Now I'm even more mad that you said that to me. Um, That's the politicians. The politicians one is, I'm sorry if anyone was offended, by what I said or did. It's like, yeah, people are offended. Okay, so don't be sorry that we're offended. You have to be sorry for what you did. We're we're not going to take the, I'm sorry if you're offended. Um, And then my favorite one is, I'm sorry, but, right? Then it's like, I'm sorry, but I'm going to justify what I did because I'm really not sorry, right? So these are not good apologies. These are not good apologies. So I would just, guys, especially guys, I don't know, for some reason, if Rebecca and I get in an argument, which we never do, no, no. If Rebecca and I get in an argument, here's the thing. She can say, she can apologize. I mean, she's amazing at apologizing and getting over it. Now, if I do something wrong, it takes me a long time to apologize. It takes me a long time to... She's... Don't amen me right now. But, but it's for some reason... I don't know if it's a guy thing or not. But it takes me a long time to apologize. And then by the time I get to apologizing... I realized I should have apologized ages ago, and then I apologized like 20 times in a row. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Um, uh, But pride destroys relationships. But Mark Twain says, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. You know, as we get a little older and a little wiser and get around relationships a little more, we start to learn that maybe we are not all that and a bag of chips, okay? We start to learn that other people have points of view and we can learn from other people. There's, there's not a person in this congregation that I can't learn a lot from. And, and, and I think if we approach other people, with all of us approach other people that way, it would help a lot in terms of our relationships. Um, James 4.1 says, do you know where your fights and arguments come from? They come from the selfish desires that war within you. That's what the scripture says. It's those self, it's that selfishness. That's what it is. Proverbs 13.10 says, Pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Um, so, if you want to nurture and strengthen and develop a relationship with a friend or a colleague or whoever it is, practice humility with that person. It will resolve a lot of conflict. Um Number four is that pride alienates you from God. God is not interested in... Uh, God, God is, is extremely powerful. God is all-powerful. He's not that impressed with our power. He's all-knowing. He's not that impressed with our intelligence. So when we come to God with, you know, our, our pride, he's opposed to that. The Scripture is very, very clear when we come to God with humility, then he embraces us. But when we try to approach him with pride, um, he, he does not embrace us. He opposes us. The scripture says, uh, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He's not interested in our pride. He's not interested. He's not impressed with us. He made us. Uh, and so when we come to him thankfully, gratefully, and humbly, then he'll, he'll accept us. Proverbs 16, 5 says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Um, that's pretty clear that God is not interested in us being prou- proud. Okay, we're done with pride. Is that okay? So that was pride. Pride was, Pride is bad. I think he can sum it up that way. Um, I want to talk just, as we wrap up here, I want to talk just a few minutes about the path of humility and what it really does mean to approach God and how humility and the effect of humility on our life can transform our life in an incredibly liberating, powerful, beautiful way. Um, And again, all of this is directed at freeing us. This is directed at liberating us. God, you know, if, if you grew up in a church where, you know, somebody was pounding you over the head and trying to get you in line, that's not what the gospel is about. The gospel, Jesus says, I've come that you might have life in that more abundantly. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. God, you know, Christ has come to free you. And so, humility is a step towards your liberation. It's a step towards your liberation. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. This is the inverse of what we do in our own life. We exalt ourselves thinking that we'll be exalted. God says, no. In fact, he says uh, in Luke eighteen fourteen, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the upside down kingdom of God dynamic that happens. You know, we humble ourselves, he exalts us. Let the greatest among you be the servant of all. So we, he's, he turns everything in this world upside down. Um, and I want to talk just for a couple minutes about how do we do this? How do we practice humility? How do we bring ourselves into a life of humility? If God's calling us to be humble, um, it's not enough to stand up and say, hey, I'm proud to announce that I have become humble. Um, that's, that's, <laughs> that's not going to work. Um, the path of humility, number one, the scripture teaches us pray, pray for humility. Prayer in and of itself, is an admission that you are not God. It's an admission that you need God. So your prayer can be very simple. In fact, I remember best my very earliest prayers when I first became a Christian because they were like this. God, help. That's it. Help. God, if you're there, I need you. I'm 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 in need of something i need you i can't do this on my own those were the earliest prayers and those were the prayers that broke open for me broke open my heart and allowed god to slowly filter in and transform my life one day at a time one step at a time so it's it's really that easy prayer is the admission that you're not god and that god is god um in in uh second chronicles seven fourteen, it says if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then i will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land open your heart up to god just reach out and pray that is an act of prayer in and of itself. Is an act of humility. Now, if you pray in a way that you're trying to impress God, you've sort of defeated the purpose. Reach out to Him. Pray to Him. Ask for God's help. Um, number two is esteem others. The Scripture teaches us to esteem others. This is another step in the, in the humility process. Um, when I was a kid, my, my buddy and I went to the Muni to see... Um, it was that musical called Little Shop of Horrors where the, the plant tries to eat. Seymour, you know, he's Seymour, he tries to eat everything. Do you remember that? It's very weird, very weird. Um, but at the end of the show, I think we got tickets from high school or something, but at the end of the show, my buddy and I snuck backstage and sat down at the table where the cast was eating. They had a big dinner for the cast. And, and Miguel, some of you guys remember Miguel Alamos. I'll get him in trouble here, but uh, so Miguel and I snuck backstage and we sat down as if we had been hardworking cast members. We went through the buffet line. We got the you know rubber chicken and whatever that comes with it, and you know you get all the food. We sat down and pretty soon we get this little tap on the shoulder. Excuse me, guys. Um, are you part of the cast? And we're like, oh uh, well, we just happen to be back here and we saw food and we got kicked out. Um,
0: <laughs> Jesus says,
1: Jesus talks about uh, he says, if, if you go to use this parable, if you're invited to a wedding feast, right? Don't go and sit at the high seat. Don't go and try to sit at the best spot. Because what might happen is the host might've invited somebody more important than you. And then the host is going to have to come and tap you on the shoulder and say, Hey, I need you to move to the back of the room. I need you to move over to table number 17. Okay. He's, Jesus says, but sit at the low seat, because then the host is going to come and say, hey, you know what? You're sitting way out here. I'd like you to be a little closer to me. And he's going to give you a seat of honor. And, and and Jesus is saying, esteem others. Don't presume that you are better than others, but take the low seat and let God, let the, let the, let the master of the house move you up, right? Let him take you up to where he wants you to be. Um, so that's esteem others. Number three, look after the needs of others. Um, I, I was, had a little moment of, of, you know, conviction this week. It was, you know, on Thursday when the snow, or Wednesday when the snow came down, or Thursday whenever it was, I was driving downtown and there was an old man and he had a, um, his foot was sort of, I, I couldn't tell what was wrong, but he had a real serious limp. And there was snow everywhere, and it was cold, and it just, it was miserable out there. And I was driving along in my car, and it's got the heater on, and I was talking on the phone, and I drove right past this guy, and I got about two blocks, and I went, I just don't feel right about driving past this guy. He's got a little bag of groceries, and he's just like barely dragging himself in the freezing cold back to who knows where. So I was on the phone. I go, I got to hang up. I'll talk to you in a minute. I turn around, I pull back, I roll down my window, I go, hey man, do you need a ride somewhere? And he gives me a big smile, he's like, no, I just live right across, right here, I got a house right here, you know, I'm good, but thank you. And I drove away thinking, thank God, you know, that, you know, thank God that 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 happened, because I really do feel like passing him by, I just felt like, you know, there's that moment where you're like, I'm comfortable, I'm warm, I'm good, I don't want to bother myself with somebody else right now. I don't want to help somebody else in need. And the scripture says over and over and again, esteem others better than yourself. Reach out, put the interests of others, help others. In in Philippians it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So serve. This is a way to humble yourself. Serve those in need. Number four, Turn your attention to God. I'm not going to go to uh, uh, the scripture on this one, but I'll just tell you. Job 38, 4 through 7 is a great... If you ever want to get a, a better perspective of where you are in terms of where God is and where you are and your orientation in life, read Job 38. It's a passage where God is talking to Job. And it's a little bit... Uh, it, it's just interesting the way it's ca- it's couched because... In this passage, the Lord says to Job, Hey, you know, when Job is saying, Poor me, I want, you know, help me. Job says, or God says, Where were you when I fashioned the sun? Where were you when I hung the stars in the sky? Where were you when I, you know, created the depths of the ocean? In other words, he's saying, I've got this under control. Okay, so you've only been on the scene a few years. I've been here forever. So... It just it gives you a perspective. If you ever start to get consumed with yourself, just go outside and look at the stars. Look at the handiwork of God. Look at what He's made. You realize that we're on, on this computer. When you when you log off of it, there's this like picture of the universe, you know. And if you had a little uh, a little pointer, you could say you are here, <laughs> one speck in the middle of this vast, amazing, beautiful universe that God has created. So it's not about you. Focus on god david says god who who is man that you are mindful of him put your attention on god love god show your all respect reverence to god and and it will clarify for you that it's not all about you it's not all about me it's not all about you it's about us serving god it's all about him we are characters in his story this isn't our story we're the lead character and everybody else is extras including god this is god's story we're playing a role in his story. Amen? That's a shift. That's a, perspe- a perspective shift that is extremely helpful. And then the last step is repeat steps one through four. Um, you know, and, and it's true. I mean, because you'll, you'll find this cycle of pride, fall, humility, pride, fall, humility. And, and God wants us to be free from that. He wants us to practice humility on a daily basis, remember who he is, and, and, and in so doing, he truly will set us free. I love the song that we sing, and I'm closing with this. I love the song that we sing, that majesty song. Every time we sing that, I get choked up because it says, Here I am, humbled by your majesty, covered by your grace so I'm free. Here I am, knowing I'm a sinful man, covered by the blood of the Lamb. Here I stand, humbled by the love that you give, forgiven so that I can forgive. And now I've found the greatest love of all is mine. Since you laid down your life, the greatest sacrifice, majesty. Remember, God is God, and we're not. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Amen? Amen. Let's just pray. and. Uh,